Welcome to the Pulse Weekly. My name is Joe Martino. I'm Arjun Walia. And this week we're going to be talking about a couple of articles we released, uh, one on transgenderism and the rise of that amongst young people, as well as one on propaganda and how that's a reality within our society right now that um, it's actually becoming very overwhelming, but it's important to think about it in a couple of different ways. Um, Arjun, why don't we start with the, uh, the topic of transgenderism? It, it is a big one. Um, what, did, what did you write about in this piece? Um, well, basically, um, the piece covers the prevalence of transgenderism today and how it's increasing exponentially every single year. Um, and the article looks at why this is the case. And I basically started off the article talking about, like I put some stats in there just to like show people that the prevalence is, 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 it's pretty eye-opening. Like something is definitely happening. Like for example, a, a 2022 analysis, um, of insurance claims by Komodo health found that, um, Approximately from from 2017 to 2021, approximately 122,000 children ages six to 17 were diagnosed with um, gender dysphoria, and like gender dys dysphoria is defined as the distress caused by a discrepancy between a person's gender identity and the one assigned to them at birth. So, like for example, in 2021, 42,000 children and teenagers across the U.S. received that diagnosis. But from 2017 through 2021 every single year it's it's doubled and tripled and when we get the numbers from 2022 and beyond we're likely to see even more so the article is yeah. basically about the prevalence the exponential rise and then goes into discussion about of why this is happening right and i mean at, at early on here it, it you know it, some people will argue this is kind of like an awareness thing, like uh, because people are becoming more comfortable talking about it, they're going to say that the rise is having to do with uh, awareness. But I, you know, I understand that there are some other factors at play uh, as well. One, one including like social contagion. Um, right. What else? What else do you have to break down there? Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get into social contagion and basically kind of the herd mentality, and we see more representation within the mainstream. So, like, children are easily influenced, and um, I basically. I'm reminded, like when I was three and four years old, I put on my mom's lipstick and makeup and taped her earrings to my ears. Like I was, <laughs> I was curious, right? But it, in today's day and age, like if that were to happen, depending on the parents' views, like those kids could be encouraged to play that role and, um, and they could take on that role. And eventually in a couple of years, they could be given medication and have surgeries, which we'll get into later. But so yeah, social contagion is definitely um, one factor. Other factors include um, mental health, which we'll get into, and um, also possibly um, um, there may be biological factors that could be influenced by um, environmental factors. Like, um, for example, a study published in 2012 um, with regards to the herbicide atrazine, which is one of the most commonly applied pesticides in the world, um, it was found that it actually, it's a potent endocrine disruptor and endocrine kind of medication is also one of the medical interventions for transgenderism for people who want to trans transition. Atrazine also actually turned male frogs into um, female frogs. They were completely feminized um, by the time they became adults. And um, so th that's another factor in there. So kind of in my article, the three big discussions are kind of a biological factor, whether naturally or not naturally, um, whether it's influenced by pesticides or 
this or something like that. Um, it could be mental health issues and it could be social contagion contagion. And, um, and so these are the three main factors and it, it's not like we're saying uh, transgenderism is wrong. If somebody, somebody wants to transition, you know, all well and great. And the problem is, you know, we can still, we can still make a case for, cause people like this are persecuted all over the world. Uh, we can still make a case for inclusion and equality with having these discussions and the article also goes into the dangers with regards to medication that are kind of being ignored in these surgeries and transgender people who are now regretting their decisions and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So to summarize what I'm kind of hearing is, is, you know, this idea of we may be causing some irreparable harm with the approaches that we're taking while we're embracing um, something that could be as innocent as a, a young person feeling like they're curious to, you know, throw on lipstick and throw on, if they're a boy and throw on some female clothes because they're playing dress up or doing whatever. And, you know, a parent in this day and age with all the social pressures that are going on, um, could be like, well, Hey, then our kid must be a girl. And then they might, you know, forcefully sort of create a space to, to push towards that. And, um, you know, there are a lot of stories out there of, of coercion, of, of sort of being, being pushed along, um, while in this community to, kind of be embraced, like, Hey, embrace this non-binary, embrace this gender confusion, embrace all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and what you're saying is what that could do is it could bring in some people that maybe this isn't really something that's deep, 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 deep for them. Like there are obviously transgender people that, that go through everything and it's, it was the best choice for them and that was beautiful and that's great. And we want to create space for that. But what you're saying is, you know, we could be bringing along a number of people that, that make irreparable choices. So, um, and and like these irreparable choices, like several studies have estimated that a large portion of children who identify as transgender actually no want no longer want to transi- transition by the time they're adults. So yeah, um, there there are all these factors to consider, and sadly, uh, any attention or awareness brought to this discussion that we're talking about and going to talk about, you know, they're considered politically incorrect. So yeah, you know, not many people even think about these discussions that we're about to have. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, you know, if you if you talk about, you know, you look at COVID vaccination and, and a lot of people who are questioning COVID vaccination, it was like, they weren't just saying, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be vaccinated because I don't care about the community. It's, you know, in most cases, in most of the people that, you know, chose not to get vaccinated, including myself, you know, I was doing it from the standpoint of like, do I, do I need this? Is this necessary? Like, do, what, if I had kids, would I vaccinate my kids? If, when people are asking me questions, you know, and it's like, you're looking at the research and you're going... I don't know if this is a, a good medical choice and I don't know what impact this could have on, on the community. If a lot of people do get hurt or a lot of people do get injured. Right. So it's like yeah. you actually have people that are looking at this from this curious space of, of care as opposed to, and they're being called anti-vaxxers. Right. And, and then you have the same sort of thing going on where you have, you know, like I have a, a background now over the last few years in, in somatic work and, and psychology and that sort of stuff in, in that training towards certification. And, you know, I'm looking at, at this transgender and the, and the gender, um, not just dysphoria, but a lot of the non-binary conversations. And I have a ton of curious questions that, you know, through your training, you're like, well, if, if a patient or if a client showed up in my office that was presenting these, these types of ideas, I, I, knew, I know what I would have to ask them. But if you ask those in public, in society, you're being told you're, you're transphobic, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, it's like, 
to be an effective practitioner, you have to understand where somebody's mental state is. You have to understand their history. You have to understand what's going on. And it feels like that process is being overlooked just to, you know, basically say that, that people are transphobic. So, um, why don't we get into, uh, what, which one of the three factors, uh, did you want to start with first in terms of expanding upon? As we discussed, there are a variety of factors. And the main point here is if someone wants to transition, like there's no problem with that. Like, um, there's no, like, I have nothing against that. I want to see everyone happy. I want the best for everyone. I want everybody to have inclusion and equality. Um, and based on my experience, even before all this stuff was so prevalent in our society, if in high school, for example, like people like this were well accepted. Um, I know in a lot of places on the planet, that's not it, but that's, there are important discussions that aren't being had, like, um, the medication, for example, and what's hand in hand with the prevalence of rising transgenderism is the, is the inter are the medical interventions that, um, are coming from phar pharmaceutical companies and whatnot, and how easy it is for these children's children to, to transition. And I came across a, a story by, um, a queer woman named Jamie Reed. She recently published an article in the free press and the article's titled, I thought I was saving trans kids. Now I'm blowing the whistle. And she comes from experience for nearly four years. She worked at the Washington uh, university school of medicine in the division of infectious diseases, where she dealt with uh, many um, teens and young adults who were HIV positive positive. And many of them were actually um, trans or otherwise gender non-conforming. So she could uh, definitely relate. And in fact, in 2018, she started as a case manager at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital. And in her article, and she's one of many transgender people and queer people who have um, who share this experience. Um, there are many examples. I'm just highlighting one. She basically um, worked with um, adolescents who want to transition. And in her article, she outlines how easy it was them for do, to do so. But what struck her was the fact that most of these people had many comorbidities like depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. Many had were also diagnosed with autism uh, or autism-like um, symptoms. And she outlines that also many of them claim to have mental illnesses that they didn't really have. And according to Reed, the doctors recognize these false self-diagnosis as manifestations of social social contagion. And um, they even acknowledged that suicide has an element of social contagion. But when she said the clusters of girls streaming into their service looked as if their gender issues might be a result of this, um, the social influence, the doctor said gender identity reflected something innate. So social contagion is not really, it's not considered as an option as to why the rise in transgenderism we're seeing such a rise in transgenderism like for me it's quite clear with the influence of celebrities and um other you know famous musicians and we're seeing more of a prevalence and representation of transgenderism within the mainstream like it's beamed out there yeah um, which is fine but i think there's a lot of influence there of young children i think that's one factor as we mentioned as to why we see the rise in transgenderism and read in her article goes on to she goes on to mention basically these medications like hormone disruptors and um, surgeries and other factors um, the the dangers and health issues that we see as a result of these um, medical interventions are not having a proper discussions 
basically based on my research and I sourced many of the, a lot of this in the article is it's not safe. Um, the, the science is lacking and this is why we're seeing more and more transgender people come out. Um, they went through all these transitions as a kid, but now that they're a little older, they're having health issues. They're also having mental health issues and, um, how they were kind of duped by the industry, uh, told these were completely safe and effective medications and things like that. And, um, um, we're seeing kind of the opposite and read also outlines how easy it is for these children to transition if they want to transition. And, um, so it's a, definitely a very interesting article. Now, to be fair, um, there are a lot of parents at the center. She worked out, spoke up out against that and saying that their children had, they had no health issues. They, their transition is going perfectly fine. And that's great for them. We, we hear these stories all the time within the mainstream, but when it comes to reads, there's always a harsh criticism about these stories and they're never kind of not enough light is shed on to them as there is, as we see with the other side, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, similar to, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it reminds me again of the sort of the COVID vaccine discussion. It's like you, you, you don't hear about the, the, you know, very many of the stories of people who had really rough experiences or who, you know, may have passed on right after being vaccinated or whatever it might be. But, you know, you hear, a bevy of stories of, of what happened with COVID and it, it really does shape public opinion. I mean, we're going to talk about propaganda in a little bit and, and how that is even a story within this, but um, you mentioned, you know, comorbidities and, and the sort of the prevalence of that. And again, I go back to my training and I think about this and I go, you know, why I think this is such an important discussion is because, um, you know, as a, as a practitioner, when you're, when you're mental health or whatever it might be, and somebody presents with something, you know, you, you generally, your job is to try and understand what, so what, what exactly is the person experiencing? And then what could have been the pathology? Like, how did they arrive at that um, particular experience? Meaning like, um, if somebody's having autism, like symptoms when they're young, you don't just say, well, okay, they have, they have autism. If, you, if you're a good practitioner, you're going, oh, great. You know, like how could that have possibly come to be, right? It, it could be that people are just born that way. And, and that's, you know, you, you determine that in some cases, autism like symptoms can present as it's just dysregulation. It's like nervous system dysregula dysregulation where you have a, a nervousness or an anxiety, for example, that's producing this hyperactivity. And when you help to regulate the client, the client then stops showing all these autistic uh, particular symptoms. It's not to say that autism doesn't exist. It's to say that your job is to determine what is really going on and how can I, how can I help this person? And then that label that we apply to whatever it is they're experiencing can sometimes just disappear. Like, okay, well, you know, that wasn't, you know, necessarily a lifelong challenge that they were going to be dealing with, right? Because labels have a, there's, there's a, a diagnosis, there's tons of overlap, right? And that's why it can be sometimes so difficult to determine what exactly somebody, what, it, what, what someone is exactly experiencing because different, you know, issues sound like other issues, right? So it's your job to kind of figure it out. And so when I hear, well, a lot of transgender folks were showing up with eating disorders and, and uh, autism-like symptoms and depression and suicidal ideation, I think to myself, okay, well, you know, the first thing you got to think of is, well, if, if they indeed deeply within their body from the time they were young till, till whenever you see them have felt like they're in the wrong body, they're in the wrong gender, that's a possibility that they could have autism and they could have uh, like autism like symptoms, right? Um, they could have anxiety, they can have depression, they could have suicide because they've been dealing with this, this thing that they don't feel good about. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that they've arrived at the idea of wanting to dissociate from their gender completely because of 
these other issues that could have come from early childhood trauma or, you know, um, social contagion, as you mentioned, or if somebody is, is really struggling with their identity and, and their body and, and all these different little pieces of the puzzle, they are also more prone to getting pulled into social contagion. You can see, as I lay this all out, there's complexity to these discussions and it's really hard to determine what exactly is somebody experiencing. And what there needs to be is a sense of looking at you know, these particular situations. And instead of just pushing and, and coercing and as a society and as a culture saying, well, you know, these folks need to be accepted and included. So if they have an idea that they're in the wrong body, just completely accept it and push them along and encourage them every step of the way, mm-hmm. that may not be the best approach yeah. to this, right? Exactly. And, and that's why I think like, again, instead of just saying this process of asking these questions and working with people to understand what's going on, instead of saying, well, that's transphobic, it's like the, the interesting part of it is it's actually, it's actually the way in which you would want to go about it because you're creating the safest space for that person to explore what is absolutely the right decision for them. Um, which is quite interesting that our culture is kind of doing the, the opposite to some extent. Yeah. And like we mentioned these factors and social contagion and mental issues and other things, uh, I think a portion of it could also be biological. I mean, with all these endocrine disruptors in our environment, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to, if, if suddenly it's discovered that there are common, um, differences in the brain among transgender people. Um, and maybe that's a result of environmental toxins. Maybe it's not, but I believe that's one that the mainstream could probably run with, but they won't mention the toxins part. They might just say, okay, these are the differences in the brain to them. They're like a male will feel like a female and actually a a transition mentally could help them feel more of who they actually are. Um, And, you know, you'll see pharmaceutical companies capitalize on this stuff. And so it's probably multifactorial and, um, it's funny because, you know, there are multiple studies showing that, um, you know, it's not the case that, um, like I mentioned earlier, many transgender people who have gone through this, um, years later, now they're starting to regret their transition. So, um, there's all this kind of stuff. And then, like you said, it's, um, we're not having these discussions. You're kind of labeled as transphobic. Meanwhile, like read in her article, for example, like she mentions how easy it is for girls to transition. Um, yeah. Basically, all they need is a letter of support from a therapist, one that their center usually recommended. They only need to see them once or twice um, before they're given the green light. And basically, um, the next step was a single visit to endocrinologist for a testosterone prescription, and that's all it took. And yeah. there are plenty of doctors now um, and studies um, bringing up the fact that these interventions are actually not safe and effective, and they're actually dangerous, right? And yeah. um, this is this is a big um, issue. Like, again, like you said, like bringing up the fact that these interventions may actually be dangerous and harmful to these a lot of these people's health, you're going to be labeled transphobic. And this is not a discussion had in the mainstream because it's, it's so politically charged. And like when it comes to safety and efficacy in North America, various organizations like the Endocrine Society support medical interventions. And um, the organization like who kind of over like the World Health Organization of for example, transgender health issues is called the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. And they um, basically um, institutions like the NIH and like the government in Canada take the recommendations from this organization. And according Mm -hmm. to them, like, and I'm quoting. 
If you are hearing this message, it's because you are a free subscriber to The Pulse. To become a paid subscriber, please join us on Substack and you will get access to not only the full video, but the full audio experience here for The Pulse Weekly. If you happen to be an Explorer Lounge member, check out The Explorer Lounge for the full episode.